Welcome to the Foundations of Sports podcast, where we present positive sports stories and the lessons of character, hard work, and humility to develop a championship team on and off the field. I'm your host, Chris Horrigan, and thank you for joining us. We have Beasley Reese as our guest. Beasley was a nine-year NFL veteran who played with the Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He went on to a 35-year career in sports broadcasting and is now the CEO of the NFL Alumni Association. In the episode, he discusses the importance and lessons learned from his family, how he was discovered by NFL scouts when they were at his game to scout an opposing player, and what it was like to play for Coach Tom Landry and play with Roger Staubach. Beasley talks about the importance of teammates and how they become lifelong teammates and friends. We discussed the different levels of responsibility, how he learned how to prepare from Coach Bill Belichick, and the actions he took to bridge football to his next career of sports broadcasting. He speaks about the mission and his role at the NFL Alumni Association, as well as his musical talents and interests, and brings to the podcast his breakdown of what every day means. Enjoy the episode with Beasley Reese. Beasley, welcome to the Foundations of Sports, and thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Looking forward to it, and can't wait to get at it. We got a lot of stuff going on with the NFL alumni. Love being on your show. Appreciate it. Tell us about your journey in the game of football. Right now, you work for the NFL Alumni Association, but that started at North Texas State. Tell us about how that progressed all the way from North Texas to where you are now. You know, I was a good high school football player, but certain circumstances that you know guys my age went through with integration disintegration you know uh, they they integrated my school and we went up to 5a in texas that's like small college and then the next year the powers that be on both sides of the line disintegrated but the rule is you had to stay in that uh, that classification for two years before you could move out. So my senior year, I was in a, uh, a school with about 700 kids in it, playing a 5A schedule, and just got hammered every Friday night. And uh, so I didn't get any scholarship offers. I mean, really, I, there was no chance for me to showcase uh my running ability when these future college defensive ends were standing in the backfield, get, you know, helping me get the ball from the quarterback. So anyway, I, I went to North Texas. Hayden Fry became the head coach. And I just went, went into his office and told him what happened to me and um, told him I wanted to try out. So, I don't know what I ran in the 40. He let me run a 40. And he had, he had heard of me from track. Uh, I was a 100-meter hurdle uh, champion in Texas. And so he gave me a chance and let me run a, a 40. I don't know what I ran, but it, it must have been um, it must have been impressive because I, I had a – he made a few telephone calls, and I had a scholarship uh, on the spot, full scholarship. And that changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, like I said, I, nobody called me and asked me if I wanted to play uh, college football. And um, the University of North Texas uh, 
changed my life by giving me that opportunity. There's an interesting story that you speak about. You get to North Texas and how you got noticed by NFL scouts after having a very successful football career. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. Well, you know, I, I once again, I, I'm at North Texas State. I'm not at Notre Dame. I'm not at UCLA. Uh, I'm at a school where uh, you, you got to get a break. And so Hayden Fry was a, a, a big-time college coach. He was a coach at SMU, and then he went on to do uh, incredible things at Iowa. But he took our program and turned it around immediately. And one of the things he did was he got us games against bigger programs. So uh, the number one or number two receiver in the country was a guy by the name of Dwight McDonald at San Diego State. And Hayden Fry somehow got us a game with San Diego State uh, every year while I was in college. And the scouts, and then remember, there's no ESPN, there's no ranking systems. There, it's who the pro scouts saw with their eyes. You know, there's no uh, data files that that they're passing around showing guys. That, so the, the the all the teams in my little region. So that would be the Kansas City Chiefs. Houston Orleans, Dallas Cowboys, uh, maybe the Saints, they came to see Dwight McDonald at, at my little school. And, um, I sh- you know, I, I, I shut him out. I, I didn't shut him down. He caught a bunch of balls. But they were all five-yard outs, quick stops. And every time he caught it, I mean, I was on him like a blanket. I just... I, I tell you what happened, Chris. I I just looked at him run, and I knew he couldn't run with me. So I lined up five yards off of him and smothered him like a blanket. And the two times they tried to go deep, I intercepted the ball. And within two weeks, I had a letter from every team in the NFL. I think it's a great lesson in to, for everyone is you never know who's watching and the importance of doing your best 110% all the time, that's a great lesson right there. Because the scouts came to see someone else, but then what happened? Your preparation, your focus, and your toughness ended up a bridge into the NFL. I tell you what, it it was a uh, moment. I was scared to death, Chris. I don't want to sit here on, on your show and play like, you know, I'm this, I'm just a guy from Waco, Texas, who, uh, you know, when this kid, this kid was like 6'3", he was gorgeous in a football uniform, trotting out onto the field. And I was scared to death, but, um, you know, sometimes you got to tighten up your cleats and and challenge yourself. And um, when I realized that he couldn't run by me, you know, that I could make a mistake, and, and catch him, um, that that was all the difference in the world. But it was a real blessing, buddy. You talk about how you felt before that game. But tell us about, there was there's a toughness about you that was developed in your upbringing. You grew up in Waco, 
and, and working with your family and working with your dad. Tell us about that toughness and how that was cultivated. My dad never threw me a ball. We bonded by camping, hunting, fishing. And, we, you know, when I think about him, never saw him cry. He started saying I love you when he was uh, in his late 80s, although I knew he loved me. So I don't want to paint the wrong picture there. I, I, this guy was superintendent of schools in my town, assistant superintendent, uh, school teacher, advanced degrees. Uh, this was an accomplished, polished man. But he was from Crockett, Texas, and had 10 or 11 brothers and sisters, and, and that's what they did. They hunted and fished and i tell you one story. Uh, when I was about 12, we were deer hunting in East Texas. It's about 26 degrees. And he put me up in a tree and told me, don't come down because you can get shot. Don't come down till I come get you. And I've got a, you know, I just, just a million stories uh, how a guy that's raised on a farm, Chris, they would put me on a tractor in the morning and bring me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I would just be driving around and around in decreasing circles, plowing a field or, you know, whatever the chore was. Uh, so it's just, a, it's an upbringing. And then when it comes to the game of football, I mean, that is just, that is a life. That's like the heartbeat of Texas. I can't tell you how special uh, Texas football is and what it's like to play on a Friday night. And they literally shut down the town and everybody is there to see you. Everybody knows you. It was an exciting, awesome childhood. You talk about so many things there about your dad and your upbringing. Tell us about your mom. My mom, once again, advanced degrees, a master's degree in uh, education. And, uh, you know, I, I think, thank them for what they did. That uh, Because of uh, what I heard growing up, I was always a good speaker, had reasonable command of the English language, and, and had a long journalism career based on hearing the language spoken properly. So my, my mom was, uh, I, I tell you, mom, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout, Chris. Actually, my mom is the Eagle Scout, you know. She's the one that made me do everything. She took me to piano lessons. Uh, she took me to Boy Scouts. You know, my dad was the, either the principal of one of the big high schools in town. So he'd leave, you know, before I'd wake up and get home 7, 8 o'clock just in time for dinner. So it was my mother who had the school teacher's schedule, which was the same as mine as a school student. And so she she's the one that made me do everything uh, that I accomplished. So um, a strong, strong woman, uh, still with us. And uh, just, I, I could not be more fortunate than to draw the two parents that I was blessed with. The characteristics they instilled in you. You're at North Texas, and you're in your senior year. Tell our audience a little bit about your senior year and, and some of the roadblocks that you hit on the way to the NFL. Well, it was 
literally a nightmare. Uh, I was being discussed as a possible first-round draft pick. Uh, you know, I I passed the eye test like very few. You know, a cornerback uh, with extreme speed, uh, uh, 6'2". Uh, I I thought I was I was 6'2", and then Tom Landry, uh, when I was drafted by the Cowboys, measured me and told me I was six one and three quarters. <laughs> so, 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 but but that tall and that fast was the prototype that the league was going to. So I, I just had everything. And they were writing these articles and saying these things. The first game, I forget who we played, but we were in Texas Stadium, the old Cowboys Stadium with the, with the opening at the top. First passing uh, series, I snatched an interception. And I'm like, oh, baby, here we go. Out of nowhere, the smallest guy on the field blindsided me and separated my shoulder. Uh, that, that shoulder, you know, has not been fixed to this day. Uh, I mean, partially separated my shoulder or dislocated. And uh, so I missed most of my senior year. And then when I came back, I just came back to get a game in or two to make sure that I got drafted. And But I couldn't really tackle anybody. So the, the word in the league was, remember, there's no, there's no ESPN telling everybody that, well, you know, he got hurt week one in Texas Stadium. He hasn't been able to play. You know, there, there's none of that. There's just... They're looking at me, and and I'm not tackling people. I'm covering people. So the word went out that I was soft. And uh, I plummeted into, in the draft. And uh, and so it, it was a difficult time. But, but, listen, I got in, and I made the most of it. You certainly did. And, and that first year, you got to play for the Dallas Cowboys in Texas for Coach Landry. Tell us a little bit about how it was to play with him, not only Coach Landry, but Roger Starbuck. Well, let me tell you something. That that was um, I, I, I don't, it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to identify a greater year in my life, and I've had some great years, and this year is a great year. But that that rookie season with the Cowboys. Um, well, first of all, I went to North Texas, so I was about 35, 40 minutes from where the Cowboys trained. And back then, we're talking about the mid-70s, guys didn't train every day at the facility and, and the, the type of off-season regimen that they have today, but Roger Staubach did. So I got drafted, jumped in my car, Drove to the Cowboys Stadium, and as as the days went on, Roger would have me stand in certain spots on the field and catch his practice throws. 
And then he'd have me run some patterns and, and throw balls to me. So just me and Roger and Tom Landry looking out the window watching Roger. So then we go to training camp, and I, I compete, and uh, things are going great. But there's too many good players. That that team went on to go deep into the playoffs, and then the next year they won the Super Bowl. So I'm I'm attempting to find a position on one of the best teams in the NFL. So about a week before the end of training camp, they're going to have to trade me or figure out something. The fourth wide receiver got hurt. Tom Landry, having seen me work with Roger, moved me to wide receiver, and I played wide receiver my rookie year. You know, I didn't get a lot of action because, like I said, we had uh, Drew Pearson. We had Golden Richards. We had Butch Johnson. And uh, I was the fourth receiver, and I was basically a decoy. You know, I, they just run me through the zone real fast, back everybody up, and then they throw the ball to Golden and Butch and Drew. So that time in Dallas, I mean, you took that initiative before the season started to work with Roger Starbuck. I just, uh, I got drafted and couldn't believe what was happening and drove to the Dallas Cowboys off and said, uh, Gil Brandt, who goes into the Hall of Fame this year. Gil Brandt was the general manager and so I, I just went to their offices and said, hi, my name is Beasley Reese. Y'all just drafted me, and uh, I wanted to say hello. So I met Gil Brandt. He told me, gave me the address of the practice facility, told me I could go over there and work out anytime I wanted to. So I jumped in my car and drove over there, and uh, within a day or two, that routine with Rogers started. Now, you know, I talk about that year, Chris. Think about this. So my head coach is Tom Landry. My quarterback is Roger Staubach. My special teams coach is Mike Ditka. When they moved me to wide receiver, my wide receiver coach was Dan Reeves. I and all of everybody I just named won a Super Bowl. <laughs> You know, as a coach, I mean, I was with an incredible staff, people like Randy White, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, Tutal Jones. I mean, the players that I played with, the guys that I met and the relationships that I built uh, last to this day. Now, I was with them for two years, one season, you know, uh, uh, half of a off-season when I got drafted and a half of an off-season before uh, I left the team and went to the Giants. So, in all, I was with them for two years. But when I see those guys in Dallas, you know, they think I, I played with the Cowboys for four or five years. I mean, that's just how close we became so quickly, and, and we maintain those friendships even today. When I go to Dallas, I head to Tutal's house. It'll be five or six guys there. You know, Randy Hughes, uh, Charlie Waters, you know, just the fellas hanging out, and it's just awesome. It's so important, those relationships, those friendships, their lifetime. They, they never end. 
they last a lifetime. They're never in it. Everybody knows what we're talking about, Chris, because it's the same. I don't care if you played Pop Warner and that was it. You still remember plays and, and teammates and buddies and things that happened and big games. You know, if you, if you were lucky enough to play in high school, it's no, I'm telling you, it's no difference. No difference. My same boys, boys that I go see when I'm in, at home in Waco, they're my high school teammates. They're my boys. They are my brothers for life. If you ever played on a team, that team is never, that team is frozen in time. That team is never broken up. You guys have stories and memories for a lifetime. You talk about so many coaches and people there, and those relationships and the friendships, like you said, and you, you might not see someone for six months, a year, 10 years, but you pick up like it was yesterday. It's what sports and a team brings together. It's so important to life lessons, but also just to enjoy life with those people that mean the most to you. It's where you learn everything. Yeah, it's, it's where you learn how to work in a corporate setting. You know, it's where you learn to have a responsibility and have shared responsibilities and have individual responsibilities and you learn the importance of carrying them out. It's how you learn to count on each other. It's how you learn to trust. It's how you learn to trust each other. It's how you learn to care for each other. It's how you bond. You know, it's a social setting. It is so important in the development of youth, team sport. So important. And you talk about learning. And when you played for the Cowboys, you then went to the New York football giants. And you played for Coach Bill Parcells and, and Coach Bill Belichick. And you played on special teams, which is the core of any football team. They see the glory of the quarterback and the defensive end. But when it comes to special teams, that's the foundation. Tell us about some of the lessons that you learned from Coach Belichick that you applied to your football career and your broadcasting career and everything else that you do to this day. There's no greater preparer for anything than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is a student, continues to be a student, and he prepares and he teaches you how to prepare and the importance of preparation and the importance of doing your particular assignment, the importance of you understanding where you fit in the total scheme of the defense or the special teams unit. And uh, he was my special teams coach, and then he became my uh, position coach and then defensive coordinator. So I spent maybe seven years with Bill Belichick. Uh, he's not, we're about the same age. He might be four or five or six years older than me. So we were around the same age. And, and I just remember, first of all, I recognized right away that this was the smartest guy. This is the smartest guy uh, I've ever been around. Now, of course, we didn't discuss nuclear fission uh, we didn't discuss uh, history. We discussed, you know, we talked about football and techniques, but 
his uh, ability to see flaws, uh, see weaknesses in the opponent's game plan and exploit it continues to be amazing. And you look at what Bill Belichick is doing today, Bill Belichick is at the top. And I challenge anyone listening to this broadcast to tell me who's the close second. You look back in the old days and there were some coaches. You know, there was George Allen, there was Bill Walsh, there was Tom Landry, there was, you know, you could just go on and on across the league, there were guys that came up with some stuff. Now you got Bill Belichick, and then the drop-off is so dramatic that it's no wonder that he's in every other Super Bowl and wins every other Super Bowl. This guy was, this guy was unbelievable, and he's unopposed. He's literally unmatched, unrivaled when it comes to uh, who's in second place? So once again, to answer your question, when I was working for Tom Landry, my game plan was in a briefcase and I wore a suit and tie to the airport. He taught us to be businessmen, to approach it as a business, to control your emotions, and to complete your assignment. Bill Belichick, very similar, although slovenly dressed, you know, kind of a reclusive, uh, if it wasn't about football, I don't think Bill Belichick knows who's the popular actor or social media pop star. He, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he has a clue. I know he didn't when I was with him. You say a name and Bill Belichick would say, well, what position did he play? <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you could be talking about a, a singer. <laughs> you could be talking about an, an actor. And Bill would say, wait a minute, I know a Johnson. Did he play? No, Bill, not him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he he certainly has uh, laser like focus Absolutely. on uh, on the task at hand. Yeah, and you so you ended your career with the Giants, and you, you got to play for another great coach in John McKay down in Tampa Bay. Describe what it was to play down there and play for him and the Buccaneers. Now listen, we we had a tough season, but I picked off eight balls that year. It, it seemed like the ball would slow down and wait on me. I, I can't describe that season, but it was my greatest season as a pro when it comes to uh, being a star. Now, with the Cowboys, I was, you know, I was just a, a threat running through the middle of the zone. With the Giants, I was playing with Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, you know, Hall of Famers, and uh, the defense was so good that I could just talk some trash and come up, clean up the piles, and in Tampa. Doug Williams was already gone. And so in Tampa, I was making so many interceptions that uh, I became a star uh, on that team, probably for my first time as a pro. Now, you want to talk about fun. First of all, I went there with the Giants one winter, 
and we stayed in George Steinbrenner's hotel, which is right on the bay. I walked out on this long pier over the bay. It's probably 80 degrees. I probably left 25 degrees in New York. And I said to myself, how in the world can somebody be lucky enough to play here? Next year, I was in Tampa. And Coach McKay was the funniest guy in the world. This was a guy, I mean, he would, you'd be crying laughing. You know, he was just the old cigar in the mouth, USC, big time college coach, talking trash for the younger folks out there. Some of his quips were, like one time a reporter asked him what he thought about his team's execution. And coach said, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> I mean, it was stuff like that. You know, just just one-liners like like a comedian. You'd say something, he boom, he'd hit you, and everybody would be crying laughing. So that was just a lot of fun. I played with, you know, Hugh Green and James Wilder, you know, great running back. And uh, <clears throat> the city was awesome. They were looking. They had had bad seasons. So they were desperate for a star, and I was picking off. I was picking off a ball every other week, and it was just awesome. So your time, obviously, in Tampa, you got to play for a great coach, great players, great environment. And tell us a little bit about how your career came to an end and how you decided to use football as a foundation for what you did for the next 35-plus years after that. Well, I through, through it all, every town, Dallas, New York, Tampa, I told all the reporters and producers that I hope to become a broadcast journalist uh, at the end of my career. So I, I made it known, and I think that's something young people need to listen to. You know, don't, don't wait to be discovered. You're not a uh, island in the South Pacific waiting to be discovered. Tell people what you want to do, and people will remember and often help you achieve your goals. Because people are attracted to people who have a plan, who have a goal in mind, who are working towards something that's attractive to people. And they want to help people that have a game plan, that have a goal. So I, I told people what I wanted to do. And uh, at the end of my career in Tampa, I had two or three TV stations offer me opportunity. I took the best opportunity, and I started out as the uh, working for the team. I think, once again, you can't burn bridges. You can't get fired or have a change in your condition and start bad-mouthing everybody and talking about the organization and the, the corporation you just did, how stupid everybody is. You got to be careful with stuff like that. You know, you have to say, say positive things. You got to look for the best. And because when I was finally cut by Tampa, I said the right thing, uh, I was the site, I was like the reporter for the team. You know, I worked on the coaches' show. 
when Ray Perkins became the head coach, I was the host of his television show, all because, you know, you, you, I carried myself in a way where, you know, I wasn't dropping grenades behind me as I walked away. So um, from there, the station that I chose, the sports director hadn't had a vacation in two or three years, and he went to San Diego to see his grandkids. After about a week, he called back and said, how's Beasley doing? And uh, they they reported that I was doing fine and learning every day. So he said, well, I'm going to stay another two weeks. And then he called back two weeks later and said, I'm not coming back. And that's how I got my job. So they asked me uh, if I would take the job as the sports anchor. I did that for a year or two. Then a guy vacationing from Connecticut saw me and offered me a job with a larger station in Connecticut. And then that same guy became the general manager of a TV station in Philadelphia, the fourth, fifth largest market in the nation, and he took me with him. So you have to form relationships. You have to build a network. You have to tell people about your plan, and you have to carry yourself in a way that would lead people to want to see you do well and and to want to help you those are the uh, those are the things the characteristics the behaviors uh, that helped me have successful careers throughout the things that you said you provided so many gems right there you talked about forming relationships building a network you know having a plan and telling people about it and carrying yourself with character And right now, you're the CEO of the NFL Alumni Association. And all those things that you've learned in the game of football and in broadcasting, you're bringing to the Alumni Association. Tell us a little bit about the mission there and the goals for the future. The NFL Alumni, we are advocates for former players, and we are a charity. We have 35 chapters around the country. Each of those chapters has uh, charitable events, everything from golf tournaments to bowling tournaments to galas to various uh, creative fundraisers, and it's all volunteer work at the chapter level, and we give 100% of the money to children's charities. Our mission is caring for kids, and each year we donate over a million dollars to children's charities. And anyone listening to the sound of my voice can join the NFL alumni. You don't you don't have to have played in the NFL. To be a player member, yes, you have to have played in the NFL. But to be an associate member, it's a part of the networking that I was talking about earlier. If you join as an associate member of your, of the chapter nearest you for $150 a year, You come to the meetings, you're invited to events, so you are selling your insurance or you are selling cars or or whatever your goods and services are, you're able to sell those, a, a special group of networkers. So each one of our chapters has 
10, 20, 30, depending on the size of the chapter, uh, has associate members that come to the meetings, meet the players, uh, sell the players their goods and services, uh, exchange goods and services with each other. It's a major networking opportunity. Uh, player members uh, have benefits that we negotiate, and that's what I do every day is I negotiate uh, benefits for players. We have everything from free heart and lung uh, care through Deborah Hospital to pain relief devices and medicines uh, like uh, Beamer, financial advice from companies like Virtuity, uh, Intelligence Staffing is one of my partners and sponsors, and they, when a player gets out of football, they help him write his resume and help him find a job. So we try to cover every base, uh, every need. You know, I'm there till 8, 9 o'clock most nights because there are players who are up in their 70s and 80s, and some of them are alone. One of my greatest fears is that nobody will be there to answer the telephone. So we take care of our own by negotiating special benefits. Uh, we don't need your sponsorship money or your associate membership money to keep, take care of our own. The NFL gives me a very large check every year to pay for player programs like Doctor On Demand, free lab work from LabCorp, and they give me 150 tickets that I turn into about 300,000 in Super Bowl experiences. And that's how we run our business. You talked about taking care of the people who came before the current crop of players now. Tell us the importance of alumni to any organization and the significance of learning from others who came before us. You know, it's such a uh, missed opportunity. Anytime a young person has an opportunity to talk to someone who has traveled the same journey that they are traveling and they miss that opportunity, that is a tremendous loss. I have always understood that I need to get everything that I can in the time that I have from a person with more experience than I have. If you're a young person listening to this, if you're 20 years old, think how much smarter you are at 20 than you were when you were 15 years old. You're a genius compared to the 15-year-old you. Now just translate that into business, and there's a man or a woman who's been in your business for 30 years, and you've been in it for five years. It is a sign of your personal intelligence if you are smart enough to take some tips to join your association because that's where all the experience and the information lies. You've got to get it. Hey, you can learn it slowly over 30 years like that other guy did or that other woman did, or you can decrease the learning curve by listening and talking to people in your association, uh, at your business, in your profession that have more experience than you. I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's an obvious move, and I think it's something that, you know, even the hot-shot young rookies come into the NFL, and they want to talk to the old vet and, and figure out how he got to play six years or nine years or 12 years in the league. How'd you do it? Everybody's looking at Tom Brady. He's 41 years old. 
winning Super Bowl, throwing lasers at 41. Well, now I want to know what he's eating, what's his training regimen, what's his sleep pattern. I want to know these things if I'm a young player coming into the league. You've got to see yourself as a pro just like Tom Brady sees himself as a pro in his business. There's always, no matter what business you're in or no matter what sport you're in, there's always something to learn. And there's so much knowledge out there, like you said, from the people who came before us. And when you take the time to speak to alumni or older veterans, whatever it may be and whatever you do, and when you apply that knowledge, it's an awesome feeling. And it makes you better at what you do. It makes you better and it it shortens the learning curve. You're better faster. You're better, faster. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. With time and experience, you'll get better. But you can shorten that learning curve and make yourself a real pro a lot quicker if you take a look at the resources that are around you. You talk about preparation when you were talking about Coach Bill Belichick and the hours that he put in. But something I want our audience to know about is the preparation and practice that you put in to your music career. Because I think it's awesome. You've taken a lot of things and you've put a lot of hard work in it. And specifically, piano and singing are two of your passions. Tell us a little bit about that, Beasley. Well, my mother, I told you that she she's the real Beasley Reese. Uh, she made me take piano lessons from age six. And I took lessons through college. I hadn't developed into me yet. And I tell you who me is. I'm a guy that the following is true. If I'm interested in it, if I want to be good at it, I'm going to do it every day. It's as simple as that. Now, you say Beasley every day, and I say to you every day. Now, every day might mean just looking at a YouTube video you know, on the subject. Every day might be reading a couple of chapters in a book or every day might be actually going out to hit uh, 200 golf balls or sitting at the piano for an hour uh, a day. Now, every day might be five minutes at the piano. I might just play two or three scales, but I'm going to do something that walks me forward in the things that I love and the things that I want to be good at Every day. You know, I hear kids all the time and say, well, I'm not good at math. And little Johnny over there, he's, he's great at math. Well, no, he's not. He practices math every day. He does math. He does math. And you're not horrible at math. You're not working at math. You're not doing it every day. So the things that I love to do, like I said, the things I love to do, I, I do them every day, and it's, it's almost natural. It's like I have a list on a wall of the things that I want to be good at. I'll tell you my list right now. Right now, my list is uh, I want to be in, in good shape, so I work out every day. Now, does that mean I dress up in some fancy uniform and go to some fancy gym and, and check in and get my key and go get on the machines? And No. No, that's not what it means. It might mean I just work really hard in my yard for two hours and break a heck of a sweat. It might mean that I 
walk the golf course instead of riding in a cart. It might mean that I'm going to stretch for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 to 30 minutes at night before I go to bed. But I'm going to do something that advances me physically or at least battles aging. I'm going to do something every day. Uh, the piano, I'm going to sit on that piano every day. It, it, it's a habit that you can easily form and easily talk to your kids about it. Just just touch the piano. Just touch it. Go touch it. Every day. And that's the secret. You know, you can do it a thousand times and get pretty good. You can do it 10,000 times and, and be uh, called a genius by everybody around you. But it's just, it's a question of touches. It's a question of practice. And I don't care who it is. Name anybody that you think is great. They practice. If it's an entertainer, don't just sit there and say, I want to be an actor. Well, you better go act. You better go somewhere and start acting and act every day so that when the opportunity comes for you to show somebody your ability, they see a practiced professional. They see someone that has been acting. And that's it. I, that, listen, it's as simple as that. I do it every day. Now, there's also, uh, I don't know if it's a rumor or some information that you're going to try to qualify for the senior PGA Tour. Uh, that, I don't know how true that is or not. That is, <laughs> that's completely false. Uh, now look, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have rounds. I have rounds in the 60s. And I didn't pick up golf until my mid-30s. Can I play? Yes, I can play. I'm a, and at 65 years old, I'm still a single-digit uh, handicap and a good player. But uh, when you start talking about the pros, you know, those people started playing when they were two. And, and they, they practiced. You, you know what I mean? I mean, they, when you started two, you, Tiger Woods started at two. Uh, Justin... Thomas started at two. Every one of these pros, they win a tournament, and then they show you a picture of them as a baby swinging a golf club. That's a head start that I don't have enough time uh, to make up. Secret is practice. As we finish up, Beasley, a couple questions. We call this the uh, overtime here, to use our football analogy. And the first one is, how could sports play a positive role in the future? Uh, you know what? I, I think... Sports has always played a positive role, and it always will. I believe that uh, it is human nature to play, and it's human nature to compete. And we just have to find safe, fun ways to compete and, and to play healthily. So, and, and it's always been a... a a preparation for something. I don't care if you're looking at small animals. They play games that teach them how to hunt. You know, they're actually learning how to hunt, but it's a game they're playing. And it's the same with human beings. You know, when we run and catch and throw, uh, there was a time when those physical talents were necessary for your survival. Well, today... We have an obese culture because we don't have to do those things for our society. So I think sports 
plays an important role and will always play an important role in keeping us in shape, keeping us sharp, and especially now that we can go to ShopRite and pick up our food and we don't have to go hunt and gather it, I think it's even more important that everybody has a game, a physical outdoors game. Where can we find more information on the NFL Alumni Association and the things that you spoke about, the networking, the career opportunities, the medical, where can we all find more information about that? Go to NFLalumni.org. Just contact us. Let us know that you're interested in getting involved with the alumni. Uh, We need volunteers at a lot of our events. It's a lot of fun. I mean, you'll find yourself uh, being involved in uh, some of the things that the local chapters are, are doing. And uh, it's, it, it really is a bunch of great guys who uh, embrace, you know, the membership, each other, the charitable opportunities. You know, it's an it's a easy, fun way for you to give back in your community uh, by getting involved with your local chapter. What would you like to leave our audience with today? Well, listen, I want you to love each other. I want you to say good things to yourself. And I want you to forgive yourself. I've thought about things in my past. And, uh, you know, thank God I've never done anything real bad. But the things that I remember and say, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that or did that. One day a few years ago, I forgave myself. I said, you know what, Beasley? Forgive yourself. Let let that go. I bet the people you're thinking about or the person you're thinking about, I bet they don't even remember that that even happened. And you, you're walking around once a week thinking about it going, ah, oh, my God. Let it go. Forgive yourself. Say good things to yourself and love each other. That's it. Another phrase you have, Beasley, is do the right thing and be a steward. You reflect those statements in the work that you do for others. Stay strong, continued success, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Beasley covered so many topics with great insight. What stood out to me was his discussion of the different levels of responsibility, what preparation truly means, the importance of alumni to any team or organization, and learning from the ones that came before you. We thank Beasley for coming on the show. And thank you for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, please send a link of the episode to a family member, friend, or teammate, and leave a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. For more information on us, please visit foundationsofsports.com, on Instagram, at foundationsofsports, and on Twitter, at foundationsport. We will see you at the next episode, and as always, best to you and your families.